Jeannie was actually introducing it really well when she was talking about this, this tension where I want to perform and I want to earn because that's our culture, that ultimately I have to deserve something. And if I don't uh, deserve it, then, and I don't earn it, and I don't do something, then I shouldn't have it. And uh, there's a reason why the gospel, which means the good news. And so I want to explore that this morning, uh, because in the first century where Jesus came and shared the love of the Father with uh, those around him, they couldn't understand what he was doing. He wasn't religious, and he wasn't, um, he wasn't like the spiritual atmosphere that they had grown up in. He wasn't uh, angry. He wasn't judgmental. He wasn't, for instance, there was something, you know, the, the, the states right now is going through this shock because they've legalized um, the fact that, the, the, that you can have gay marriage anywhere in North America. Well, they've had that in Canada for years. And one of the things is the Christian church, we have no right as Christians to demand that people who are not Christians do what we do. And half the Christians aren't even convinced what they should do. And so there's no tension here. I, as a Christian, would absolutely die for the freedom for people to do whatever they want. I, I abhor, I grew up in a so-called Christian country that was so unchristian in many ways. I do not think we have the right to actually just dump on people God's values when they don't even believe in God. Now, I also have the right to say I think you should believe in God. And I also have the right to say I don't agree with your sexuality or that thing. But the fact that we want freedom, but we often don't allow freedom for everyone. And God gives freedom. I was mulling over this. It's complicated at times. I maybe shouldn't go here, but let me just sort of think about this. If the Spirit is the ultimate truth, God is Spirit. And if when He created... Well, let me back off. If in the spirit realm he allows freedom and in the spirit realm there is rebellion and an angel who's magnificent called Lucifer begins to be jealous of God's power and wants to rebel against God and you have a spiritual rebellion, what if the judgment of that is separation from God and there is no redemption for the spiritual realm? In other words, when Satan falls... And, this, and the demonic emerges as those who are rebellious to the Spirit of God. There is no redemption. They can't have a Savior because they are in the Spirit. And so they are forever separated from God, which is hell. And so behind God's creation is this angry demonic presence who actually cannot get back to God. And therefore, like many vindictive people, you know when you're angry, you want to take other people down with you? They go, well, we're going to attack what he's created. And so in this earth of creation, you have the spiritual backdrop of good and evil. Now, I don't know how many of you have also said sometimes, why doesn't God do something about this? I mean, if God loves me, why does he let this happen? If God does this, why does he let all the suffering happen? And the biggest lie is that God is sitting there indifferent. God has given freedom. And everything that we actually rail to God against and say, why don't you do something? He says, I didn't do it. If you want to deal with hunger in the world, if you want to deal with suffering in the world, if you want to deal with most of the things that you rail at me, God, about, look at the greed that you carry, you carry on in your life and see what the consequences are. There should be no hunger in this world. There is enough food for everyone. There should be no house, ho homelessness in this world. There should be far less sickness if the drug companies distribute it. I'm not judging, I'm merely commenting. That the suffering of this world, the violence of this world is all rooted in the human heart. 
It's all rooted in the haves and the have-nots and the, and, and the, and the, the way that's, that's continually worked out through generations and generations. Because in the human heart is this thing called greed and self-absorption that actually says, I want, I want, I want. And I want security. I want this. I want that. So I'm going to create as much as I can to make my circumstance so that I am safe, even if it costs other people. And so you see this whole behind... How many times have you said this to people... You know, um, uh, just forgive me now because I've got issues going on. And so my behavior is not that great. I know it. But you see, behind behavior are always things. And they're going on in the emotional and spiritual realm. Some people say there's no such thing as a spiritual realm. But that's maybe as crazy as saying jump off a cliff and see if gravity doesn't exist just because you deny it. There's not all relative truth. Everything, just because I believe it doesn't mean it's true. And so this is, David was reminding us of this whole spiritual reality, this whole spiritual backdrop in the world. And that everything that actually we despise and we say God save us from, he says I have and I will. And everything we actually desire in this world, everything we desire actually is the thumbprint of God in our spirits. What do you desire? You desire peace, love, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, security, generosity. Every hallmark that you actually desire and love and admire in other people is the imprint of God in the human spirit, whether they know him or not. But he says you're so broken that you can't get back to expressing that without my help. So what has God done? He so loved the world that he sent his son. In the whole Old Testament, in this brokenness, you have God's God's creation bombarded by the evil that says God doesn't care about you. You see, evil, because it's vindictive, because it's angry, because it's um, sinister, it will lie about everything that God promises. God doesn't care. You're in this on your own. You've got to fend for yourself. Vengeance and vengeance. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Perform. That's huge in religions around the world. Perform. Crawl on your feet. I mean, crawl on, crawl on your hands, you know, 15 miles to the temple. Do this, do that. Buy this, buy that, so that God will maybe not kill you. That is deeply ingrained in fallen human character and nature. And the very gift that God has given us of hearing his voice, which is actually our conscience, becomes our condemnation. Shame is on us. Guilt is on us. Negativity is on us. We say we never hear God. Of course you hear God. You just don't know how to hear God because he's drowned out by the lies that are so u- we're so used to hearing. We are completely enwrapped in the spiritual reality. We just don't know it because we think it's us. We think all the voices are us. We think all the voices we hear are just neutral. They're not. They're energized by other people, other things. So this is actually very good news. You see, what we're dealing with is that that, that old... I mean, I think actually I have only one ministry, right? Ever since God drew me back, and that is to speak about being freed from slavery and taking the promised land. That is my mandate. Um, and, And you can come out of slavery and still be a slave because the hardest thing for people to come out of slavery to do is to actually believe that they are free. And when the people came out of Egypt the first time, you remember, they, God actually, God's promise for them was, you know, six weeks and you're in this new place called the promised land. But they didn't believe him because when they went there, they saw enemy and they saw people who they said were bigger than them and they had such inferiority complexes. The thing he had won for them by the blood of the lamb, which was on the door frames, the Passover lamb, they couldn't appropriate because it wasn't what they expected. He said, you walk in this land, you take it, be strong and courageous and I'll give it to you. There are many people here. God has already said yes to you for the prayers you've cried. He just says you've got to believe it and take it. But you say, but it doesn't feel any different. He says, well, it didn't feel different to the slaves either. They had to, they had to walk into the freedom that they wanted. Because ultimate freedom 
is walking in friendship with God. Because he says, all I have is yours. You see, when you, when you meet somebody who loves you and you will love them, you have freedom, don't you? But guess what happens? Your, 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 your friends look at you and go, they used to love hockey, now they never go to hockey. They used to love this and now they never go. Why? Because they're doing what she wants to do and they seem to be happy. Because this love thing in the middle suddenly changes the priorities. That's how God works. He's not about performance. He's about love relationship that starts saying, hang out with me and some of the things you thought you liked doing will just drop off. Now, I can tell you stop doing that or I can say, come and hang out with me and you will stop doing that. That's how God works. And much of Christianity and much of our thinking is all about behavior modification to get to this relationship with God. And God goes, it's the wrong way around. How many of us are afraid of getting close to God? We're afraid of our emotions. We're afraid of his love. We're afraid, afraid, afraid. So we hedge our bets all the time. We don't really trust him. We live the schizophrenic life that is, is lukewarm, which is awful. You don't go to church because God says be a church. You go to be part of a community because we need one another to grow in following Jesus. That's it. And we have to put up with you and you have to put up with us. That's it. And you're a piece of work. And you're not always that fun to be around. And guess what? That's what God's using to make us grow. But we're all looking for the perfect place where my needs can be met. To hell with your needs. You don't even know what your needs are. The needs that you think you need are not the needs you need. The needs you need are the other ones. How's that? You know what I'm saying. It's like a parent to a young child. No, this is good for you. And they see no rational reason for that. Well, God's like that with you. I wasn't saying all this, really, but I am. So what happens? Those people are slaves. They are locked in. They cannot perform. There's nothing they can do. You know the story. The Passover lamb... Is a lamb is slain, the, blood, the door frame is, is painted with blood. It's a foretelling of the crucifixion. And they are set free from some a pharaoh they would never be able to escape from, a situation they could never get out of, and they were set free and they said, go. And the biggest problem in Christianity, the biggest problem in spiritual life in our culture is that is what is regarded as being Christian. I, I said yes to Jesus and I sit around doing nothing. I go to church and I just say that's life. You're not set free from slavery in Egypt to sit in Egypt. You're set free to go on a journey with the living God. And so they go on that journey and they soon find that, that that's a process of freedom that actually the generation that was slaves never got to. Forty years wandering. Many of us have been wandering. We wander because we have theologies that, that got stuck after about a year. We, 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 we we wander because we have opinions that we never allow to be changed. We wander because we have these attitudes or these hurts that we never let go of. We wander because we isolate. We wander because we are internalized. We wander for all kinds of reasons. And then we rail at God and he says, I've done it. Receive it. Not that way. Then don't receive it. Not through them. Then don't receive it. We set so many agendas and so many conditions and have so many opinions so quickly. And God goes, for God's, I wonder if he says for God's sake. Chill out. Listen. Humble yourself. Take a pill. You know, I've, I've, I've actually brought you into freedom. Please come into freedom. But the journey into freedom is through challenges. But let's, let's, let's begin. Let's just stay with that Passover lamb. The Passover lamb has been slain and they set free by the blood of the lamb. You go into the, the next phase because these are a behavior-oriented people. They, they are very... Um, I don't think they're that sophisticated. And so the, the textual and the visual and, the, and doing things is what they, they, they work with drama. And so in Leviticus, you go through Leviticus and the whole of Leviticus is about all the things they have to do to be pleasing to God. Because that's where they were at that time. And he says, okay, 
when you sin, and if you sin, it's not if you sin, it's when you sin, you have to do this. And every single time, what they have to do is they have to take an animal. Sometimes it's an ox, sometimes it's two pigeons. It's all kinds of things. And he says, because it says in Leviticus 16, 17, the life is in the blood. Now, as you see, these, we are not spiritual beings. We're not like the demonic. There is hope for us because we are spirits in human form. So there's something to be rescued. Because the punishment for our rebellion was you die. And so the greatest uh, fear for a human being is death. So what if, so God's penalty is death. So he said, why doesn't God do something? And God so loved the world that he says, I will take that penalty on myself eventually. So what happens? You know the story. In Leviticus, you have this whole description of animals dying, being killed. It says in Leviticus, it's chapter 17, the Lord commands against consuming blood by noting for the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I've given it to you for given it for you on the altar to make atonement, which means at one mint, for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement for life. Blood represented life. Without blood, a creature or person could not live. And so what God's saying is, I want you to demonstrate out, outwardly your desire for forgiveness. I want, to give, I want you to give something that costs, but I'm going to tell you that this is the way that I will forgive the sins of yourself as an individual as, of the nation of the world. The shedding of blood. Your blood should be shed there. That is fair. God is incredibly jealous of justice. And your and my sense of injustice about what happens around the world, or somebody breaks into your house, or somebody kills somebody, your sense of justice is rooted in God's imprint on your life as well. And if you who are evil know how to demand justice, how much more? Our systems right now we don't even trust. Because you know that you're not going I When I went through a business venture that didn't work out and I went to a lawyer, he said, I can, you can pay 30000 but I don't promise justice. We deal with legalities, not justice. And with legalities, there are always loopholes and you don't get justice most of the time. Because it's not about uh, common sense and it's not about right and wrong. It's about expedience and how you can twist things. That's the system we live in. We accept and we have designed because we say we don't trust God's justice. We get what we deserve. And this has gone on for generations and generations and generations. So when we say, God, why didn't you do something? He says, I did, actually, 2,000 years ago. But because you've got such a twisted version of who I am, you want to create your own kingdoms, create them, but don't blame me. But I love you, so I'm still going to try and get you because you, you really don't know where you're going. You've got yourself so tied up, you live in fear on earth. You live in poverty, you live in violence, you live in suspicion, you live in incredible degradation. It was nothing like what I had in mind for you, but you insisted that you wanted freedom and you wanted God in your own image. So you have it, but my love is such that I will not give up on you. And so in Leviticus, you have this whole legal system about how you're going to uh, have the blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. And that was the foundation of how people became forgiven. But it was, the, it was, it was something that was repetitious right throughout the, for, for a thousand years until the temple and until Jesus, until Jesus, there was this repetition. You've got to come before God and you've got to give him sacrifices. And it became so convoluted that people would go up to the temple and in the temple courtyard, there would be people selling pigeons and selling lambs. And guess what? They were selling it for a profit because everybody was out for a profit all the way through to the altar. And it became the system. And it was still by work. So it's still by how many oxen can I give? How many this? How many that? The biggest thing everybody wanted was, can I be forgiven? Can I be one with God? And Jesus came into that culture and said, I'm going to do away with all of this. Because behind this is a sacrifice that needs to be made before God, which is 
the sacrifice of a perfect human being for imperfect humanity. And when Jesus went to the cross, he basically laid down his life for all the sin of the world. It is mind-boggling. It's difficult to understand. It's not that God demands blood. It's just that justice has to be served. And God did something about the rebellion of humankind and the demonic infiltration into the world by sending his son to say, I will take the punishment for what has happened to my creation. I take responsibility for evil in the world. I break its back on the cross. And he demonstrates his authority by Jesus dying. The worst thing that can happen to human beings, the worst thing that the demonic can do to a human being is to kill it. And God raises him on the third day. The resurrection is the most revolutionary, revelationary moment in history. To the Western mind, it is crazy. To many cultures around the world that aren't in the West, South America and Africa, they are spiritually very in tune in the sense that they know what evil looks like and they know what a greater spirit Jesus. That's why many churches that are planted in Africa and South America, I'm just thinking of those two, start with seeing God's power in healing overcoming the evil one. The reason many of us are so bored with Christianity is because we've emasculated it. We've reduced it down to a few thoughts and a lifestyle which is really superficial. And it doesn't even excite us, but we'll sort of argue to death on it. And so we hedge our bets, we sit on the fence, we play in, the, play in Egypt, play in the promised land, and nothing really works, and we get cynical, and then blame God. And God came in through Jesus, and he said, you know, in, in Jeremiah there's, a, there's a, a phrase that talks about the cup of wrath that God was going to pour out over the nations. is his judgment. And he is judging. And it's that cup of wrath that Jesus at the Last Supper begins to pick up. Or for instance, there's, let me just interrupt myself. James and John, two brothers, come up to Jesus and they say to him, Hey, Jesus, can we ask you something? He says, What do you want? We want to sit on the right, your right hand in eternity. Ooh, my mother told us to ask you. I mean, what audacity. But Jesus doesn't say, You're going to be to hell. If go and fry down there, you arrogant twits. He doesn't. He says, can you drink of the cup of my baptism? Can you drink it? And they said, yes. They were so ignorant. And he loved them because he knew they hadn't got a clue what they were asking. He was really saying, can you die on a cross? And can you drink the cup of grace that's going to be poured out? But can you go through that suffering? And they said yes because they didn't understand. They did understand later. And when Jesus was then at the Last Supper, he picked up that cup. And it was the cup that Jeremiah was doing, the cup of God's wrath. And he says, this cup, which was at the Passover, nobody ever drank from it. It's called the Elijah cup. He picked it up and he said, this is the cup of, this is my blood shed for you. This is the new covenant. He took that wrath. He said, I'm taking the wrath on me and this cup will be transformed forever. When he was in Gethsemane, what did he say? Let this cup pass from me. I don't want to take, I don't want to deal with this. I don't want to suffer like this. His human side said, I have no desire to go to that cross. I'm terrified. He sweated blood. But he went. And so when he said the Last Supper's meaning, when we say this is my blood shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins, that's the cup of judgment that's been transformed into grace and freedom because of Jesus. Because Jesus went to the cross so that everything we've ever done and will ever do would be forgiven. That is why in the New Testament there are many phrases that talk about he took upon himself our guilt. Let me just give you a few just so that you don't think I'm making it up. 1 Corinthians 5, Christ our Passover lamb has been sacrificed for us. Paul was deeply rooted in the Passover. He said, Christ has become our Passover lamb. What does that mean? I never have to do another Passover. I never have to bring another animal and say, please forgive me. Because he is the perfect lamb 
perfect sacrifice. Paul was deeply rooted in this stuff. Ephesians 2, you who once were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. What was he saying? He was saying, as you said yes to Jesus, his blood covered your sin and you are now free to enter into the promised land. There is no performance whatsoever because God comes to you in your brokenness, your sinfulness, your unrighteousness, your rebellion, and he says, I have actually paid the price for everything that you're feeling guilty of, you're worrying about, you're condemning yourself about. I have taken that on myself on the cross. You know how many people struggle with things they've done in the past and they never forgive themselves? That's demonic. And it's, they, they don't forgive themselves because they think they should have done better and maybe they should have, but you can't get it back. And God says, why would you not forgive yourself when I've forgiven you? Why would you actually live under this misery when I've actually said, I've taken the cross? I'm not pleased with what you did, but that's like a parent with a kid who's dirty. You give it a bath and say, let's get on with life. We'll learn from it. There are consequences, but for goodness sake, let's move. And that's what God says to you this morning and to me. I have dealt with your sin. I am not disillusioned with you. I'm not disappointed with you. I do not condemn you. I don't agree with you always. I'm not pleased with where you've hurt yourself because ultimately that's what you've done. I'm not thrilled at how you've processed this, but you've been lied to and you've been imprisoned by it and I have come to set you free. The first time you said, forgive me, I forgave you. Why are you still talking about this? I'm bored with our conversation. But I set you free to walk in a way that follows me. I set you free in a way to stop doing some things that you insist on doing. And that's a learning because we have to learn that the God of love who poured out his blood for us is also the God who can be trusted with the rest of our life, whether we, who we're going to marry, who, whatever we're going to do, our jobs, our relationships, forget, everything. Because Jesus said what? He said, you who have been forgiven much will love much. The people who judge other people are only judging because they haven't been forgiven enough. I'm most gracious when I know fully the, God, the, the grace of God over my life. I know that from my life and my experience. I have enormous grace for others when God's spirit is sitting in me strong. When I'm guilty or when I'm struggling with something, then I'm a little bit less patient. I'm a little bit less forgiving. I'm a little bit less uh, compassionate. Own your own stuff and everything else will flow through with power. But what we're doing, many of us actually, we play games. And God's much more serious about righteousness. He's much more serious about purity. He's much more serious about stuff. He says, I detest it because it's destroying you. And you go, oh, God just spoils my fun. He says, you've never had fun, honey. But the way that he's going to do it is by wooing you. I read something this week that says people don't line up for judgment. They do line up for love. And there are too many Christians. We just judge all the time. It's the easiest, laziest, laziest most. You don't need anything to judge. It's easy to do. To love outrageously, that's a different story. To give yourself outrageously. So God's, Jesus went to the cross as the perfect sacrifice. Nearly finished. Hebrews 10. I just want to read you two things. It talks about coming close to God. You see, Hebrews 10, verse 8. Uh, therefore, uh, no, verse 8. First he says, Sacrifice and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, though they were offered in accordance with the law. Then he said, here I am, I have come to do your will. He set aside the first to establish the second, that's Jesus. And, that, and by that will we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Verse 19, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is his body. We have access to God because of the blood of Jesus. You see, we were separated from our sin, by our sin, from God the Father. And when the blood of Jesus was shed, when he stood in that place, 
he basically opened up the temple curtain was torn apart he opened up access back to God so that everybody could have a personal relationship with him. It wasn't just through the priest. But before you slip onto that one too quickly, we need one another. I keep saying that. Because it's really easy to just take a little bit and then think you have it. And we need one another to grow in maturity. But personal access to God is through the blood of Jesus, which means he has died on a cross for you. Now David looked around here, and I didn't see how many hands, and he said, so how many of you feel real confident that you are, have access to God because of his blood? And I think... I got the impression it maybe wasn't that overwhelming a response. And I really want to encourage you today to know the confidence that you can have because of what Jesus has done for you. It's not about you. Because if I had my way and I looked at you and I looked at me, none of us would get there. and say, but, 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 what about this? What about that? That's not done yet. That done. I would be terrible. Thank God I'm not God for me and for you. And thank God that you're not God for me and for you. Because we would have too many conditions. You see, God understands us at our deepest point, which he says, you are so broken and so distorted that you can't even actually comprehend the truth of what I'm saying. So I'm going to lead you in that to greater revelation as you travel with me. So the things I understood about Jesus when I first said yes to him as a 12-year-old boy are very different from now as a 62-year-old boy. They're very different. They can, I can wrestle with things now that I wouldn't have even considered then. And God grows us up. And he begins to work in us so that we become more than we ever thought we might be. So what do you get? There's a, the last verse I want to show you is Revelation. Does this make sense to you? Oh, yeah. I mean, do you, understand, do you understand that it's not all about you? But it is, I'm afraid. There is, there is, you know, you do have responsibility. Revelation 12 says they try, there's a whole about a woman and a dragon and a whole big battle and it's ugly. And it says in verse 11, they triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. You see, the blood of the lamb is Jesus. The word of their testimony is how do I appropriate that? And that's our responsibility. That God so loves the world that he gives and then he says, now how do you receive and how do you walk with that? That's our responsibility. You walk, out of a pl- you walk from a place, live as a Christian from a place of victory. You live from a place of all I have is yours. You never live from I'm trying to earn it. But when I've, I was rescued when I was nearly drowning. I was so grateful to the surfer who rescued me. And I've been rescued a number of times. I'm so grateful. And out of the gratitude, you have a different perspective. You see, if you've actually, you know how bad you can be, and in your worst day, you've, you've met with this Jesus who says, John, I still love you. I believe in you. I've never left you. And I've sworn at him, and I've cursed at him, and I've kicked him, and I've walked off with foul language. And he just says, when you're ready, come and chat. But he doesn't move. He doesn't change his standard. He doesn't make special exceptions, because I thought he might with me. And he doesn't. I'm here to tell you that. So if you think sleeping around is he's going to ignore, it's not. He's not. I promise you he's not. He's not judging you if slipping in pornography or cheating on your taxes. If you think that's going to end up in blessing, it's not. It's a cancer in you that he will deal with. I'm just telling you that. It's extra this morning, special treat. There are no shortcuts. There are no shortcuts to his grace and his love and his holiness. He just says, treat other people like I would have, you would have them treated. So every time you want to be sexually promiscuous or, or you want to indulge in pornography or something, just look at that, that. There's somebody's daughter there. There's somebody's son there. Everything's de- being degraded for you to enjoy something that you shouldn't enjoy. And you're only enjoying it because you're so stuck yourself. And I'm not disillusioned, so I know the games you play. I know what goes on. I'm speaking like I'm God now. But I love you because I know what's behind that. And that's what I'm chasing after. So I'm going to take all the judgment that you deserve. That's on my son because I want to actually get to my child who I wanted to embrace from the moment he or she was conceived. And I always have and I always will. So there's nothing that you can do 
that's going to undo what my son did. So I'm never going to be angry with you because of where you are. I'm just going to be reaching out like the prodigal father saying, welcome home, trust me. And I'm giving you brothers and sisters because you're not always going to get it and you're going to need other people in human form to help you. But as soon as you say yes to my son, as soon as you say yes to Jesus, his blood covers you. And for that reason, you are accepted. That's the bottom line. I brought my wallet in here. Did I have lots of cards? Anybody got the SIN card? It's a lovely card, SIN card. Social insurance number or spiritual insurance number? Depends what you want. Every time you show this, do you get all insecure and go, oh man, I hope it works? Or have you gone through the process and you carry these cards around in you because you're confident that they represent something? Have you ever been out of, you ever tried to emigrate from one country to another? You know how attractive Canada is from the outside? how valuable it is to have a Canadian citizenship in this world. I remember going to the embassy when I was 14 or 15. I used to rent. Um, they had these um, cinema reels for a youth group, and they were of Canadian wilderness and stuff, and I used to rent. One was about wolves. That was amazing. And then I asked them about emigrating, and I really didn't qualify, and I didn't think I'd ever get there because I didn't really want to stay in South Africa. And eventually it all worked out, and I did get here. Um, but when you get your citizenship, you know, when you've been in a place of slavery or oppression or fear, and you come to a place that feels like the promised land, there's something very powerful about that. And in a sense, when Jesus went to the cross, he said, you know, do you know how many people in this world would love to have somebody knock on their door and say, here is a passport to Canada, welcome. You are a citizen of Canada. How do I get that? I didn't even apply. Somebody applied on your behalf because they knew where you were and they wanted you to be able to have access to the best place on earth. That's what Jesus did on the cross for all humanity. He knocks on your door and he says, here I am, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I offer you access into the kingdom of heaven on earth that you would know the love of the Father, you would know his peace, his power, his passion. All that I have is yours on earth right now, access through the Spirit. It doesn't work like the world works. It's supernatural. But I want you to know your identity as a daughter and a son of a king of kings. You're not a mistake. Your life is not abandoned. You do not walk this earth just revolving around where you came from in your birth. You don't revolve around what your circumstances are. I have come to break through everything that's been stolen from you to say, welcome home, my son and my daughter. I want you to live from this place free for the rest of your life on earth and then into eternity. That is my gift in Jesus. The only thing you and I have to do is take hold of it. Now, when you know how imprisoned you've been, taking hold of it is the most powerful thing you could do. You would never just go, ah, that's just a little card to hell with that. You'd go, I was slave. I was a slave. Now I'm free. I was, I was in prison. Now I have access. I can easily access that for the rest of my life. Remember the time when I didn't have freedom and now I have freedom. What do I do with that freedom? How do I live? How can I get, say thank you to you? He says, follow me. Let me be king. Let me be lord of your life. Let me be the one who, who leads you day by day because I have come to bring you life. The blood of Jesus has secured you with a new citizenship, a new identity, and a new future. But you walk in it day by day. There will be many things that try and steal this identity. Why do we exist as a church? To help each other enter into the fullness of the inheritance that has been won. What are we about? We're responding to the generosity of a God who loved us before we performed and who continues to forgive us every day. That's a very, very good news. Let's stand. What do you get with the blood of Jesus? You get forgiveness of sin. I just want to pray over some things. If you carry any guilt this morning, if you're carrying anything that's causing you to feel shame, anything that causes you to feel disqualified, you don't have to carry it. If you say, Jesus, I ask you to forgive me. Jesus, I give you this. He will immediately take it from you. So give anything to him that is getting in the way, or is weighing you down. You don't have any need to carry shame. You don't have any need to carry inferiority. 
You don't have any need to carry regret. Yes, you have to work out consequences, but consequences are easier to work out when you're forgiven. So just speak forgiveness over this body right now in the name of Jesus. I break the lies of condemnation. I break the lies that nothing will ever change. I break the lies that I'm not good enough. And I receive, through the blood of Jesus, his forgiveness right now. His mercy, his grace, his goodness. Thank you, Father. You set free through the blood of Jesus to walk in freedom with an identity as a much-loved son or daughter of the King. Anything less is not of him. So receive from him your identity. Ask him to reveal your identity in all his fullness. The, the Father, the King of Kings, embraces you right now and says, you are my son, you are my daughter, whom I adore, I cherish, I love. Stop kicking and screaming. Stop telling me you're not worthy. I have made you worthy. Stop insulting me and stop insulting my son and stop emasculating the blood of Jesus. You're not big enough and you're not strong enough and you're not bad enough. Get over yourself. Be nice to yourself. Forgive yourself as I forgive you. And I call up in you confidence to be the sons and daughters of the King of Kings. Sons and daughters of the King of Kings. You're a work in progress, absolutely, but your citizenship has been secured. Walk in it with freedom. The blood of Jesus also releases the power of the Spirit where God says you cannot follow me, live with, live with me without my presence and my power. And some of you are still trying to think you can do that by making resolutions and trying harder. Draw close to me and everything else will follow. Let me redeem your conscience so that when you feel guilty or convicted, you listen to me rather than try and not listen. I will speak to you through your conscience. I will redeem your conscience so that it becomes a conduit through which I speak. Listen to me. Be quick to obey because I'm a God who speaks a lot and I'm speaking to you. I love you. Receive my Holy Spirit. Receive my power to enable you to be all that you cannot be in the natural. Through the blood of Jesus, you get access to the presence of God, the Holy of Holies, the throne room of the King. You are right in God's presence right now because of the blood of Jesus. His presence is right here. You can't get any closer. And Father, I just bless your presence here right now. I bless it. We don't need a box. Your presence is here because you've promised it. So ask the Father to to give you a sensitivity to his presence. However you happen to receive that. It might be through thinking, reading, other people, emotions. It could be any way. Father, I just bless your presence and our experience of your presence here and in the future. Let your kingdom come. Bless you, Lord. Open your heart, not just your mind. Through access through the blood of Jesus, you get a purpose for your life. He sets you free that you might find freedom and find a life full of purpose. He doesn't have a perfect plan for you, He has a relationship with you that will release something wonderful for you. It's already in you. He will germinate the things in you that bring you so much joy you won't know what to do with yourself because you don't want to get to heaven with if only on your lips. Now is the moment. So Father, I bless your purpose over each person here. Through the blood of Jesus, you get healing. By his stripes, you are healed. Come to him for healing. Let him heal your wounded heart, your wounded spirit, your wounded body. And keep coming. Don't give up. Pay attention to what he's doing. You are welcome. You are included. And he gives you authority to live on this earth. He says you carry authority because you are my son. You are my daughter. You carry authority. It just comes with the territory. With the name Christian, you carry authority. So Father, I call up in each person here authority to live a life of consequence. A life that's not easily taken down or taken out. So that's just the beginning of what the blood of Jesus wins for us. Forgiveness a clear conscience, identity, Holy Spirit, power, presence, purpose, healing and authority. Father, will you just take these words and will you make them 
powerful in our lives and in our community together. We bless you because we are those who inherit all that Jesus has won for us. Just in the, as I prepare for communion, think about that. Father, will you show people what you're wanting to give them to this morning? Something out of your kingdom. Often the way to access that is to look at the thing you're struggling most with and then take the opposite. But just ask the Father. Just say, Father, what, what are you giving me this morning? He might already have given it to you. Then just thank him. The most wonderful feeling is, being, is, is, is feeling believed in and chosen and safe. And Father, just pray release over those qualities. We're, we're chosen. We're part of your family. We're included. Warts and all. We're empowered. It's not going to be the same forever. We're going to be transformed and we are being transformed. You're not finished with us, thank goodness. And you're going to use us to help each other on the journey. And we're not going to judge anymore. We're not just going to be saying, what's in it for me? We're going to say, Lord, you actually laid down your life for me. I want, to, I want my life to count. I want others to come alive because of you working in me and through me.